everyone. Welcome to Screen Cleaning here on BYU Radio, the show that is all about shining a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wessinger. And each and every week, we sift through all that is bad. We don't care about that as much. And we just want to bring you the very best. So we we stay away from the gossip. We stay away from things that are going to depress you and make you want to just go to sleep at at night instead of watching good movies and good tv which is really what what we want to help you find yeah we're here to help you stay up late because you just got so engrossed in something that's good i think that's that's really our goal right avoid sleep and i've just binge everything cole i've been doing a lot of that lately and probably is the reason why i sound so sick is because i've just haven't been able to go to sleep at night because there's too much to watch. As long too as you're not sick for a certain other reason, Jeff. Oh, no. Okay. No, we don't need to go there because okay. it has been confirmed that I'm not sick in that way. Although you are working from home today, but yeah. Okay. Well, we've got a very interesting show today, Cole, because as you can imagine, even if you are staying up late binging shows Maybe there's shows that you've been meaning to watch like we do from time to time on the show. Or maybe there's shows that people tell you that you should watch. Um, it's, it's very likely that you're going to come across something that you really want to like, but that you just don't. Or that others tell you that you should like, but you just don't for some reason, right? So that's actually going to be the focus of today's show. We're going to start off by talking about movies or and or TV shows that we really should like based on all the ingredients that are there. But for some reason, we just there's something that's off that we can't quite either recommend it or even enjoy it ourselves. Yeah, there's an indefinable quality when you're trying to describe what makes your show, what makes a movie your favorite, right? You can put together all the pieces, but then there's always something more. And so today we're kind of talking about the opposite of synergy. We're, we're proving the rule by finding its faults, uh, which is what you, you're supposed to do in math, where the sum of the parts just don't equal the whole. They they don't quite get there for us. Right. Cole, two things that really don't go together are water and grease, which is why I'm going to say that a movie that I should like, but I really do not. Is Grease? Is Grease, the musical. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, yeah, I've never liked it. Um, I love musicals. I love high school movies or certain high school movies. And so you would think a movie that has a musical element to it set in a high school would be a great combination for me. Has a great cast, Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta. Oh, so we're not talking about the live TV version, which was its own can of worms. No, I don't love the music, uh, even though it is super catchy. And I really don't like the message of the movie at the end of all you have to do is lower your standards and everybody will love you. Right. And you'll get the guy of your dreams. That is a horrible, horrible message. And uh, yeah, Grease is just not for me. I Everything says I should like it, but I really don't. But have you given Grease 2 a chance, Jeff? No, I know that there's a, a subset of people that... A subset of fans that says Grease 2 is just awesome, but I've never spent the time. 
Yeah, it's pretty consensusly bad, but I'm one of those people that really enjoys the heck out of Grease 2, possibly more than Grease the 1. I love that you started with kind of a genre that it seems like this movie belongs to, but then for some reason it didn't add up for you. And my first choice here for a movie that I should like, but for some reason I don't, is Final Girls. It was a horror oh, spoof yeah. that came out uh, in the mid-2010s. It has, like you said, an amazing cast and, and a cast of characters that I'm used to liking the stuff that they're in. Thaisa Ferminga is in American Horror Story, which I enjoy on television. Um, and, you know, she does the kind of horror thing there. And then they bring her into a horror spoof on Final Girls. But... Ultimately, I think I might like horror movies too much to appreciate this. They, It's definitely more comedy than horror, which I'm perfectly fine with. But it seems like it was written by someone that has only seen spoofs of other horror movies as opposed to actually loving the horror movies themselves. The thing I'll say for this is whoever did the soundtrack definitely has a love for 80s schlocky slashers because they got that part right for sure. The rest of it just didn't quite all come together. It's not quite funny enough, never really scary enough, and isn't saying anything that I haven't seen in like Saturday Night Live sketches before of like how dumb slashers were. It seems like it's good, but it didn't quite get there for me. Cole, that is so interesting because I I had a very similar experience watching that film where great concept it seems like it should work but there's I don't know you just you finish the movie scratching your head thinking why didn't I like that more and that right? genre is just right up my alley I wanted to like it so much and didn't okay here is a movie that the numbers suggest I should like it because apparently everybody else did it's got some stars in it that are very likable even in this movie are pretty likable um but one romantic comedy, which, again, is something that I usually gravitate toward, that I just can't get behind, even though I've given it a few chances. And I was so shocked when I heard all of my friends talking about this movie and saying how much they liked it, when I really just did not. And, Cole, I understand it's a movie that you really love, and it is the 2005 romantic comedy Hitch, starring Ooh. Will Smith. You mean my yeah. favorite all-time romantic comedy, Jeffrey? Oh, my goodness. Really? See, this is why uh, we pair so well together. Although I don't know if I'm the grease and you're the water. But uh, <laughs> well, one thing I will say, one strong suit for this movie is Kevin James. He is very likable. His portion of the movie is the part that I really like. But uh, it just doesn't work for me. I I just don't. I, it doesn't win me over like it did everybody else. This movie made almost $400 million. That is a lot, especially for a romantic comedy, I would say. It was a Will but, Smith uh, romantic comedy, almost at the height of his powers. That is true. That is true. I will say I liked this better than Wild Wild West. I'll give you that. Thanks. It's high praise coming from Jeffrey Simpson. There's, <laughs> there is a certain idea of hype that gets behind a movie that even if it's driving in a direction that you want to you know there's there are certain segments of our movie watching population that will kick against something just because it was popular but i was really 
psyched for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. That's It came out in 2011, which was a time when I was just starting to get into a little bit more heavier and deeper movies. And this seemed like the perfect, serious spy thriller with an amazing cast that would be up my new alley. And I watched it for the first time and I didn't like it. And then I went a few years and then I saw a bunch of really good reviews for it and thought, okay, maybe my movie tastes have changed and evolved a little bit more. I'm going to give this another try. And I still could not get into it. It's definitely the kind of thriller that I enjoy more than just the the James Bond action kind of spy or the Jason Bourne. But uh, ultimately, it was just a little too dry, a little too boring, even though I like that in other movies. I don't know why it didn't work here. And that's kind of the theme of the, the show today is sometimes just what we bring into a movie outweighs what was actually on the screen, unfortunately. And so I've never been able to enjoy Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy as much as I thought that I should. That was one that that uh, made me head over to Wikipedia afterwards to read the plot because I was a little confused watching that. It was a little difficult to follow at times. And And I enjoy that in other movies, and it just didn't work here. Interesting. Okay. Now, this next pick for me comes with a little bit of an asterisk because I actually like it. However, I have nothing has compelled me to finish watching it. So it's a TV series hmm. that, again, Cole, is one that you really, really love. And I, I like it, too. It's very stylistic. I really enjoy the humor. But for some reason, I have not... Uh, forced myself to sit down and finish watching it. I haven't had that drive to do it. And it is a show that many would say, many people that are fans of it are avid fans who wish that it was not canceled after two seasons. That can be its, its own show... ruining effect if if oh, sure. the fandom around something can make you like it less than you should. But go ahead. Sure. This TV series in question is called Pushing Daisies. <gasps> And it has a great concept, right? This guy that uh, he can't touch anybody, right? Because if he does, they die. And that includes his own mom. So sounds like a pretty dark and depressing well, uh, theme for a show. But it's actually a, kind of this comedy. And I guess you would say a romantic comedy, too, because he had, there's a, there is a love interest. Again, it's very stylistic. It's directed by uh, the same guy that did the Men in Black movies and uh, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events on Netflix. And it's Barry Sonnenfeld. He also did a couple of other movies that I really like, Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values. And I do like it, so don't get me wrong. But again, I just haven't felt the need to finish watching it. And I have the DVDs sitting in a drawer at my house, just haven't come around to doing it. Weird style is the theme of Pushing Daisies, and you're either going to like it or you're not, which is not saying, like, that's not new insight into anything, but I really did. That is exactly in my exact niche of liking things, is Pushing Daisies. But I understand when people don't. It's not That's not a weird pick for you, Jeffrey. Okay. I, do have I a, should go back and watch it. I do have a television show of my own, though, that I want to talk about. And, and it's interesting how TV works even more so than movies whenever we want to go and rewatch something. It's so often that I'll start a TV show, get through two episodes, and really like it, but then 
never finish it like you were talking about. Sometimes it's just too heavy or sometimes it's not the mood of a TV show that I'm watching right now. Sometimes you just got to go back to the office because, you know, you're going to like it. But I have started so many like The Boys, Altered Carbon and my next pick, Penny Dreadful, that I absolutely should love when I look at the plot and the characters and everything on paper. I know that I'm going to like it eventually, and so that's why this this one gets a little asterisk as well, is because I know once I'm in the right mind frame, and once I actually watch more than an episode and a half, I will like it. But from what I've gotten so far, I just haven't, even though I should. Okay. You know, um, you may have identified some a reason for me why I haven't burned through Pushing Daisies. I don't think it's a bingeable show. So each episode can almost be a standalone, right? So there's not a whole lot that is there. There aren't really any cliffhangers or anything that makes you. Which feel is how like television to used to be. It was that's right. One so, thing I love about Pushing Daisies. Okay, so this movie was this next movie I want to talk about is. It was pretty much a precursor to Stranger Things, right? directed by J.J. Abrams, uh, very much influenced by Steven Spielberg and the movie The Goonies. You've got this ragtag team of potty mouth kids who stumble upon this secret. And in this case, it happens to be this alien. And they're making a Super 8 movie. And that is the name of this particular movie, Super 8. Um this is a movie, again, I love J.J. Abrams. I love The Goonies. I love things that are influenced by Steven Spielberg. Um, I love little ragtag teams of of adolescents who, you know, go on these little adventures. But for some reason, I just didn't like this movie as much as I should especially considering I've seen every episode of Stranger Things, and I probably don't love Stranger Things as much as most people do. I will say that, to be fair. But uh, considering this is a J.J. Abrams movie, it's sci-fi, it's influenced and even executive produced by Steven Spielberg, it has um, some great elements to it, some things that make you feel... um, I just, I don't know. There's nothing that has really led me to go back and revisit this film. Um, Even though everything that leads, everything that that goes into making this film would lead one to believe that this should be a slam dunk for me to like it. And I just don't like it as much as I think I should. That indefinable quality that we're looking for is whatever it is that makes me like something and Jeff not, or vice versa, because... Super 8's another one where you're right, on paper, it looks exactly the same as a lot of other things, but I like this a ton more than a ton of those other just, like, kids come together and something happens. Like, I never really got into the Goonies or Stand By Me or, you know, pick take your pick of any of those kids get into hijinks movies, but when I saw Super 8 for the first time, I was like, oh, this is what people mean when they really get into that kind of thing. Okay. Interesting. So, so far, you've pretty much loved everything that I have not loved. And uh, I wouldn't say vice versa, but what's your next pick? (laughs) I I tried to look at franchises to take a look at what makes the difference between a whole series of movies and why I would like one 
but not the other. And the biggest franchise for my generation is the Harry Potter one. And when you look online or talk to people that know these things or talk to other movie critics, the one that is their favorite just so happens to be my least favorite, and it is Harry Potter 3, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Really? That is my least favorite of the Harry Potter movies, even though I like some others that are less faithful to the books, even though I like others that are less stylized, even though I like others that have more plot holes or differences, you know, the way they they take the adaptation in different ways. But Harry Potter 3 is still my least favorite, despite having watched it over. Now, I know exactly why I didn't like it when I was a kid, and it's because it was different from the book, and I could not comprehend that. But now looking back as an adult, I like plenty of other. I mean, six is the the, the Half-Blood Prince is probably the least like the book, but it's one of my favorites because it's a little more goofy. I mean, Harry Potter three was done by the best director, Alfonso Cuaron. It it has a lot of really good things. But for some reason, I just don't like it as much as all the other Harry Potters. That's really interesting. And I, I was about to bring up the director, Alfonso Cuaron, because he is such an amazing director. And you would think in his hands, this would be a slam dunk for you, Cole. Did you know that he's, he's uh, made eight films and he's won four Oscars. Well, that's a good track record. That is incredible. But apparently he wouldn't win any Oscars for you for Harry Potter. And and we talked about how the style of pushing daisies is what makes me lean to it the most. You can't watch the Chris Columbus first two and then Alfonso Cuaron's third and not say that he, I mean, he has a clear style, and I do love style in other things, but for some reason it did not connect for me here. Okay. Well, this is a movie that uh, came out recently, and I was excited to see it based on the trailer, based on the vocal cast. Um, It has Martin Short in it, it has Will Forte, Terry Crews is in it, and it's a kid's movie animated on Netflix And the style looked amazing. Like, this looked like a movie that, oh, this is right up my alley. I love those quirky animated films that are fast-paced, that um, just are really, uh, really unique, right? And this one focuses on this family where these two parents are just madly in love to a fault, right? And unfortunately, to their children's detriment because they're so in love that they have no time or any care for their own children. And they keep making babies and they don't really love or care for any of them. So it's kind of a dark premise. And again, in a kid's movie, that's something that I really like and enjoy. And I I don't think it condescends at all. Jeff, I have known which movie you're talking about after like a couple words for all the other ones, mainly because they're movies that I've loved. I still have no idea what you're talking about here. <laughs> and I just realized I haven't told you what I, what movie I'm referring to. It is a movie called The Willoughbys. Huh. And my parents, we watched this after my parents recommended it to us. And even after watching this film, I thought, how did my parents like this movie? Because this is the type of movie that they typically do not like. And this is the type of movie that we typically do like. And for some reason, even though it was fast-paced, uh, the animation was unique. It was a little too fast-paced. And had the jokes been a little stronger, 
I probably would have enjoyed it a little more. Another example of this, I think, is the Lego movie, which I absolutely love. See, I, I was jokes... thinking of Lego Batman when you're talking about a little oh. too fast-paced, something you really should like. You know, the jokes are almost there. That's that's my thoughts, and that I can quantify for why I don't quite like Lego Batman. Sure. I think Lego Batman would make an honorable mention for me <laughs> on this list. But, yeah, the Willoughbys, it just uh, didn't pan out the way I thought it would. So that's my last pick here. My my last one is a movie that I do like, but I don't like it quite as much as a lot of other people. And I want to kind of approach this from a filmmaker standpoint, right? So I talked about franchises with Harry Potter, but those were made by a bunch of different guys. There are a lot of filmmakers in Hollywood where they have their fans, just like there are Marvel movie fans or Harry Potter movie fans. And... Christopher Nolan is one of them. Tenant was a movie that I didn't really love that has come out very recently, but I know why I didn't like it, right? I can put my finger on it. That's not what we're doing today. Um, uh, Wes Anderson has a specific style, and for him, the the one of my favorite of his is The Grand Budapest Hotel, which is his most accessible. Like, I understand why I like that one so much more than his even more quirky Moonrise Kingdom, The Life Aquatic, those kinds of things. But for Charlie Kaufman, who also has a new movie recently on Netflix, I don't like the one that is seemingly most accessible and and most people put as their favorite, and that's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Often pegged as his, like I said, most accessible or most critically acclaimed, I like his even weirder stuff. It's kind of the anti-Wes Anderson for me, where... Things like being John Malkovich or even adaptation, I enjoy more and are way weirder than Jim Carrey and Eternal Sunshine. Well, there you have it. A list of movies that on paper, as you said, Cole, we should really, really like. But for some reason, we just don't. And it leaves us scratching our heads thinking, now, why didn't I like that movie? Because everything that went into making that movie indicates that I should. So... We are so pleased to announce the return of one of our team members that has not been on the show for a long time, Mickey Randall, who has helped us put together this show and is going to continue helping us put together our future shows. And she had a thing or two to say on this subject as well regarding movies that she should like, but for some reason she just doesn't. Hey everyone, my name's Mickey, and I'm the producer for Screen Cleaning. And today I want to talk about, well, movies of course, but in particular movies that we want to like, but just don't. Now, I think most people are familiar with this particular sensation as it applies to food. Joey doesn't share food! For instance, I don't like sushi, but I want to like it. Sushi is really cool. Everybody wants to get sushi, right? It even looks cool. The restaurants that serve sushi even have this particular feel. It's all just kind of an experience. And I would love nothing more than to take part in that, but I can't. And not for lack of trying. I've eaten a lot of sushi in my life and to no avail. I think it's something about the raw fish. But in addition to food, I think we all share this experience with movies. There are some movies that everyone thinks are great, but we sometimes just don't get it, no matter how many times we watch them or talk about them. For example, personally, I don't like Wally, but I feel like I should. I mean, it's cute, 
It's Disney. There's, I don't know, robots. But Wally, for whatever reason, just doesn't do it for me. And listen, I've seen it more than once. If I'm remembering correctly, I watched it in theaters. And then again at home. And then again for school. And then another time for school. And the thing about watching movies for school is you do learn a lot. For instance, I completely accept and believe that Wally is well written and does some really cool things with sound. I've never thought it was a bad movie, I just don't like it. Here's another one Avatar, you know, with the blue people. It's the third highest grossing movie of all time, which is quite a lot of people buying tickets. There's also a part of Disney World dedicated to it, and there are allegedly five sequels to the first one in the works. Five! <laughs> so there must be some huge audience for this that I'm just not part of. Avatar is also supposed to be highly technologically advanced and was nominated for several Oscars. So I'm not going to deny it. This is an impressive resume, and I truly, truly wish I could appreciate it for what it is. But it's a no for me. But still, it's not all bad news. Trying new things definitely leads to liking them sometimes. For instance, my dad used to make me watch It's a Wonderful Life every Christmas, and when I was younger, it felt like a chore. Now, though, I can comfortably say that I enjoy that movie, especially since I get to watch it with my family. If only sushi could be the same way. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. On today's show, we are discussing movies that Cole and I either should like, but just can't bring ourselves to liking them, or movies that we really want to like. You know, we're rooting for these movies to be likable by us. And again, they're just, they just can't manage to pull it off. Right, Cole? Yeah, and we're trying to pin down, and we've been a little repetitive, because most of the time when we're talking about why we don't like a movie, we know exactly why, and so we go in-depth of it's the plot, or the pacing, or the acting. But when we should like something but don't, it always comes back to, well, I liked most of it, but I don't know why I didn't, and we're going to keep doing that now. (laughs) Now, Cole, we've got a little bit of a segment going on here, because we've done this on the show before, where we've taken a movie that, you know, we didn't really care for it the first time, but we were willing to give it another shot, right? And there's a movie that I should have liked because I love baseball movies, right? And I love movies that have quirky characters in them. And I love kids movies that would have come out around the time that I was 10 years old. And so that is why I was willing to give the 1993 film rookie of the year, another chance. And so I watched this recently and this is a film that uh, is unbeknownst to me. I had no idea when I was 10 years old that Daniel Stern was the director of this movie. All I knew about Daniel Stern's connection to this movie was that he plays a character in it who is, I guess he's a pitching coach, 
But for some reason, he spends most of the movie just uh, tagging along with uh, the main kid character, uh, Thomas Ian Nicholas. And he also at one point is hitting balls for some reason. I don't know any pitching coach that would spend time doing that. But it also stars Gary Busey as this aging uh, pitcher that is way past his prime. And the the shtick of this movie is that Henry or sorry, Thomas Ian Nicholas is this kid who is terrible at baseball. Nobody wants him to play on their team. And then one day he breaks his arm in a way that makes it so that he can now pitch over 100 miles an hour. Don't ask too many questions about the premise. It is meant to be a kid's movie. It's meant to be ridiculous. Yeah, so I will we just say accept there when is... there's angels in the outfield, so why not accept when a kid's broken arm turns into a cyborg arm? Why not? Right, right. And there's no, to be clear, there's no supernatural or uh, spiritual element to this film, but uh, it the premise is is pretty ridiculous. But I feel like the movie really embraces the silliness of the premise and just goes for it. There are some virtues here. Uh, you've got John Candy in an uncredited role as the uh, color commentator. So I'm sure he improvised a lot of his dialogue. And the music for the movie was composed by Bill Conti, who is no stranger to rousing, really catchy, energetic uh, sports movie soundtracks, right? He did the soundtrack to Rocky, and that's one that we'll never forget. Um, this movie, you can tell when I saw that Daniel Stern was the director of this film, I all of a sudden saw this movie in a totally different light. And what I mean by that was Daniel Stern was the narrator, if you didn't know this, was the narrator of a television show called The Wonder Years. The Wonder Years that follows Kevin Arnold. And uh, you, it's basically a slice of life in the Vietnam era, right? And I thought, you know what? I don't think the casting of Thomas Ian Nicholas is coincidental, right? Especially when you think of Daniel Stern's connection to the Wonder Years, because I felt like maybe they wanted to have Fred Savage be the star of this movie, but by then he was way too old. And so they got another kid who kind of looks like Fred Savage. And you could kind of tell that maybe the direction they gave this young actor was was not more than just, OK, now make your eyes as big as they can be. And sound like this is the most amazing thing that you've ever heard because he's really only making, he really only has one reaction in the entire movie. Granted, if I were a kid, if I were a kid who signed a major league contract and I even got to stand on Wrigley Field's pitcher's mound, I too would be in awe. But uh, you could tell that, gosh, let, we want a Fred Savage here, so try to be as much like Fred Savage as you possibly can. I was willing to give this movie a second chance because I love baseball so much. Because this is a movie that when I was 10 years old, I'm, I should have loved. And I think even as a 10-year-old, 
I still scratched my head thinking, now, why don't I like this as much as I should? And part of that could be, I may not have seen this movie when it came out in theaters, to be honest, which would floor me if that were true, because not only did my dad take me to pretty much every movie under the sun, but you would think that he would have taken me to a movie about baseball. He would have had, he would have taken any, made any excuse to take me to a movie like this. Right. Um, And unfortunately, even after all these years, even 27 years later, it's still a movie that I should like, but I, I can still resist. Right. And I will say there are probably moments in this movie that I could sense myself fighting the urge to like this movie. Uh, but I didn't have to fight that hard because <laughs> it's a movie I should like, but I, I probably will never watch again. I feel like I like Rookie of the Year exactly as much as I should, which is as much as I like any generic kid baseball movie that I caught on TV when I was growing up. This one doesn't like scream to me, and and this is why we come with two different perspectives, but I'm not going to defend Rookie of the Year passionately here because... We probably like it exactly the same amount. It's just, it's more up your alley, and so why don't you like it more? The one that I come with it here is an Academy Award Oscar Best Picture nominated movie. A reinvigoration and a a brand new vision for a franchise that seemed left for dead from the 80s and the 90s. One that, that... captured a visual look that people had never before seen on the screen and was pack full of action all things that i enjoy and yet when i went to rewatch mad max fury road i still ah. did not get the appeal jeffrey and you are a a supporter of this movie and so i want you to tell me what after now two watchings of mad max 4 i'm just not getting Okay, well, let me make a confession, first of all. I have always sung this movie's praises. I own this movie on 4K, and yet I have still only ever seen this movie one time. That's probably because you don't have the 4K TV to go along with it yet, right? (laughs) So you, Cole, have already seen this movie more than I have. What I can tell you, though, Cole, is that um, this is a film that was so imaginable, so grand in its scale uh, and scope, and just such a breathtaking visionary effort that I told as many people as I could about this film because not only is it a good action movie, but the entire time I was watching this film, I couldn't shake the thought of how on earth Could any living human being have dreamt up a guitar that anything that I'm seeing? How is that? No, watching it again, I push back even more so on all of that because it's a bonkers movie, sure, but it's certainly within the realm of imagination. It it does. It's a big car chase movie, and they just make the cars really big and crazy looking. It doesn't really do what everyone says that it does. And now, like, it it does look pretty, and if you're going to own anything on 4K, this seems like one of the ones that you should if if it goes up your alley. But I need a little bit... I, I need just a touch of plot to drag things together because the the reason we did Second Chance Cinema the first time was 
there are a lot of things that we as people bring into the theater or onto the couch whenever we watch a movie. Um, our preconceived notions, our expectations for it. We're going to talk about movies we want to like, you know, once I get done bashing on Mad Max Fury Road. And and when we watch it a second time, that's why we want to give another chance to these things. We want to take ourselves and put ourselves in a different place and try to revisit them and try to give movies a second chance. And I remember when I watched Mad Max the first time, I was on my phone for half this movie because it just didn't keep me engaged uh, because there was no plot. to. It was just action scene after action scene after action scene. And I like plenty of action movies. And this one certainly had weird action-y stunts. But I feel like once I get a feel for a movie, right? They have plot and then there's an action scene. Plot, action scene, plot, action scene. And because I had no reason to pay attention to know what was going to happen so I would know what the plot of the movie is, this just went action, 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 action. And so I felt like I could just check out. And before I knew it, I was just on my phone for a half hour. And I still hadn't missed any plot, but I had missed most of the movie. And so... This is what I wanted to specifically avoid giving it a second chance. And I thought what made it just pine for a second chance. So I put my phone in another room. I glued my face to my computer screen and started watching Mad Max. And it seemed like it was starting better than I remember. And then it just got into that same rut. I remember from before I got a little hungry, took my laptop into the kitchen, started making a sandwich. And all of a sudden, before I knew it, I hadn't really looked at the screen for like 15 minutes because it just doesn't ask me to. I need a little bit of plot to make sure that I'm still engaged with the movie or else I just lose it. Okay, Cole. Well, you've made me want to go back and rewatch it, and I think I will. I'll give it a second chance because I do love it, and I actually own it, so I have no excuse. For me, the real second chance of Mad Max is just look at really high-definition stills from this movie. If you've seen the scene where his car is sitting there and he's standing looking over the wide expanse of post-apocalyptic Australia— You've seen the best part of the movie. If you've seen the cool guitar guys spitting fire on the front of a truck, you've seen the cool part of the movie. You don't really need to go through the two and a half hours of actually watching it. Okay, Cole. Well, let's talk about some other movies now that uh, we actually really want to like, right? That uh, we're we're rooting to succeed, but for some reason we just still can't can't like them. They don't quite meet our expectations. And uh, there, there are several movies that I felt that way about this year, even. Um, one of those being Bill and Ted Face the Music. I really, really wanted to like this movie. I went to it ready to laugh. And even beyond that, Cole, I really wanted to like it. And I really wanted it for it for it to succeed because of the climate that we find ourselves in right now, where new movies are just not being released and you're seeing other movies that are being delayed because the current movies that continue to be released are just not doing that well. It should be a great 2020 movie because I think we all need to hear be excellent to one another right about now, but the movie itself didn't quite live up to it. A a 2020 pick from my list is Mulan. I've been lamenting how these Disney live action remakes are just too remakey. They just keep trotting over the same thing. And we're going to actually take the environment seriously. We're going to really draw 
inspiration from the place that this is supposed to be set in the original story that we're stealing from is Disney. And we're going to go in an entirely different direction from the 1998 original animated and, and include some cool kung fu scenes and do what, you know, what we can. And it still was just so boring. Like, I wanted a different kind of live action remake. I've been asking for it so often. I got it. I still didn't like it. Mm. Well, another 2020 film for me that I really want to like, and maybe if I see it again, maybe this should have been my second chance cinema pick, but I really wanted to like Tenet. And again, second, third, fourth, fifth chance cinema. Once I can watch it in my house and turn the volume down a little bit, I'll need to pause it and try to digest what you just saw and the Wikipedia page at all. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. It's certainly a a marvel to behold on the big screen and with the sound rumbling through you. But the sound is also one of its downfalls because I just couldn't hear anything that was being said. All the exposition that they provide is shot out rapid fire over this blaring music. So you won't be able to hear it. Um, I really want to like it. And maybe I will the next time I see it. But that's one that I struggled with, Cole. Tenet is a smart, classy movie that I wanted to like more than I did. There are plenty, though, of really good capital M movies that aren't my cup of tea, right? When we talk about movies we should like, they're in that genre and and we just don't know why we, we don't like them. There's a whole genre of movies that I wish that I liked more than I do, and it's that character-driven biopic kind of telling the story of a whole man that I just never get into. Some of the best movies in cinematic history, Citizen Kane, The Godfather, Raging Bull, where you just take a, an in-depth look at one man's fall from grace or just their their life over a period of time. And I've just never really cared about whether they're true stories or slightly fictionalized versions. I prefer more character, more script, dialogue, sometimes jokes, I guess more action too. Like I like a nice slow movie, but I've never been able to get into those kind. And as a movie fan, I wish I could. I just haven't. Ooh, yeah. There are some other, a couple of other big budget blockbuster movies that I really wanted to like. And uh, in some cases, in spite of the haters or to spite the haters, one of those was a film called Ghostbusters Answer the Call was the actual title of it. Really? This was the this was the female-led cast of uh, the most recent Ghostbusters movie that I thought looked okay. And then when there was so much vitriol uh, spat out at this movie, I wanted to go see it to quiet all the haters. And then I watched it and... Even though I was rooting for it to be funny, I just didn't like it all that much. This is the one Ghostbusters those... movie you're talking about came out in 2016. In 2017, I had a very similar uh, experience with the Universal's attempt at a dark universe. Everyone said that the mummy wasn't that good, and I wanted to love it, and I wanted to launch a little interconnected piece where there's all these different monsters and they've already thought ahead and cast everyone and and they're going to start giving us little easter eggs in each movie but then you sit in the theater and the movie is bad and so you just can't root for it anymore 
Uh, another film, we talked a little bit earlier on the show about style over substance, right? And stylistically, this looked like it was going to be a movie that I was just going to love based on the trailer. I remember there being so much buzz around this film and I was so excited to see it. This movie came out when I was about 15 years old and I thought I was just seeing this uh, quirky a movie about these two worlds colliding, you know, when they don't belong together. And what I got was a very adult themed movie that did not take the path I wanted it to at all. And it was 1998's Pleasantville starring uh, Tobey Maguire, Jeff Daniels, William H. Macy, Reese Witherspoon, and even Don Knotts. You have this uh, this guy that's kind of bored with his life. Everything that he loves is on TV, and then he gets sucked into one of his favorite TV shows, and so he's in black and white. And then basically every time somebody does something that doesn't jive with this black and white world, things start to turn to color. And unfortunately, that means a lot of sex and people committing adultery and all sorts of stuff that was not what I wanted it to be at all. You just wanted to stay in the black and white Pleasantville, leave it to That's the fever right. kind of. I loved Pleasantville. That was one of my favorite movies. You wish you could. I live in that world. But I think it is important, and we do this from time to time on the show, to give movies and TV shows a second chance. Especially when, you know, maybe like Tenet, maybe there's more there than we saw on the surface. And all it takes is another viewing. When we return, as we do always, we're going to do a little panning for good, as well as give you some of the very best in entertainment news over the past week. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. Jeff, that is music to my ears. I am so glad that we are talking about the best news, and we're talking about the best news that I could have possibly heard. The Mandalorian is the music we are hearing here. There was a new trailer, which I have not seen, because Mandalorian is something that I am excited to see, and I do not want to bring in too many expectations. We just talked for 50 minutes about how sometimes that's a very bad thing. Um, I have not seen the trailer yet, but we have a release date for The Mandalorian Season 2. It is October 30th or 31st. It's I, right around Halloween. I'll be watching it. I love I love the fact that even though it's been confirmed that the little baby in on the show is not Yoda, that people still call him Baby Yoda. Well, of course. <laughs> even if he ever, the child is officially what he's credited as probably. Uh, even if he ever does get a name, it's always Baby Yoda. We It's been ingrained in our cultural lexicon now. And I'm okay with that. I'd also be okay with if there was a baby, if I was uh, the father of a baby that looked like Baby Yoda, I think I would be just fine with that too. You do have a child, and I'm pretty sure all babies before they turn like one just sort of look like Yoda, but with smaller ears, just like wrinkly and ugly. No offense my to like six month babies, old, but... My six-month-old is probably the cutest baby on yeah, the earth. It's a baby. <laughs> <laughs> you have to okay. say that. I'm okay with that. So Mandalorian, um, you know, right around that time is when we should have been getting a lot of other summer movie releases that got pushed back to later in the year that, you know, who knows when they'll ultimately come out. Uh, I 
it's amazing that the new mutants actually did come out and it came out in the midst of all this that we've been going through. But movies like Wonder Woman and Black Widow, they were keeping an eye, a close eye on Tenet. And because Tenet just has not performed the way that everybody hoped it would, being really the only big movie in the theaters to see, people just have not been returning to movie theaters the way that they hoped. And so they're kind of... Uh, they're kind of pushing things off and they'll regroup later and figure out what the ultimate plan is for getting these movies seen. And I wouldn't be surprised if Disney plus went the Mulan route and uh, released black widow on Disney plus. Yeah. Just like theaters are looking toward how tenant is doing financially. I think streaming wise, we need to look at how Mulan has done. I haven't seen any numbers on how successful or not successful that's been, but I'm sure Disney internally is making that push-pull to see what they're going to do with Black Widow. Wonder Woman 84 is the other really, really big one, and it's been put off just a little bit longer to about Christmas time is the next date that they've penciled in, but it's certainly pencil and not pen because it's possible to change yet again. Talking about Disney, though, and and. They own Marvel uh, as with Black Widow, something we know that was always going to come to streaming as a new Disney Plus series that now has cast its lead. Jennifer Walters, also known as She-Hulk, will be played by Tatiana Maslany, who is known from Orphan Black. An amazing casting decision, in my opinion. Okay, well, that'll be interesting. And uh, yeah, we won't have to wait for a theatrical release on that one, but we will have to wait on when they start production. Yeah, the whole Disney Plus calendar right now is in flux because the more they push off Black Widow, the more we have to push off Falcon and the Winter Soldier because of the timing and because of how the Marvel Universe interacts with each other. We've been pushing off Shang-Chi and the Eternals and... I, I want to get my Marvel comic movies back, Jeff. And and so this little bite of casting news for just some Disney Plus series that we're getting in like 2023, that, that's all I've got. It's these little nuggets, these kernels that I'm clinging to. Well, speaking of streaming, Cole, it seems like there even the, some of the streaming platforms are starting to kind of change their uh change their strategy based on the success that they're seeing from other streamers. It's branding is all it is. So this week we found out that CBS All Access, which to be fair was probably the least successful of the streamers right now, is changing their face, changing their logo to Paramount+. Plus. Are you convinced, Jeff? Did this uh, turn your mind around on CBS All Access? The reason that Disney Plus has been the most successful of those streamers uh, is because they came out of the gate fully prepared and to be fair to other streamers they just happen to have a huge library already in place right so they had so much more the advantage not just because of the low price point which the other streamers have actually had lower price points than disney plus but they don't have the library that disney does And that's just why Disney Plus is just crushing it. Dare I say from a branding perspective, it is the Disney half of Disney Plus and not the plus that has made Disney Plus successful. Paramount is copying the wrong half of Disney Plus's name, but copyright probably keeps them from calling themselves Disney. So that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. There's one more piece of news. and, And gosh, Jeff, I haven't gotten to use this in a while. The best in Jeopardy news. 
Ta-da! Thank you for singing. It's uh, I I did I had many takes. That is prepackaged, um, because I oh, can only okay. do that once uh, with that <laughs> high quality of of audio that you're hearing. There's Jeopardy news. I I love Jeopardy. Jeopardy is back this week for its 37th season with new consulting producer Ken Jennings on board. Um, the the Jeopardy often has their producers as guests, you know, on location to give certain answers to the questions that the contest that the contestants have to provide. So Ken Jennings had an entire category where he talked about famous winning streaks, very appropriately for him. Uh, he's officially retired from being a contestant on Jeopardy. He is now hired by Jeopardy, um, doing outreach and a lot of the stuff that he was doing anyway. He has a pretty popular Twitter account as well that I recommend. Um, Alex Trebek not looking too good. He's 80 years old. He's he's battling with cancer, and we wish him all the best. And all the feeling is that we're going in a direction that Ken Jennings is being groomed to possibly be the full-time host once we have to uh, face that reality. That's interesting that he's banned for life from playing Jeopardy because he tested positive for being too darn good at <laughs> Playing he Jeopardy, retired right? on his own terms, Jeff. After the greatest of all time, he said, I'm not playing Jeopardy ever again. And so their head producer called him and said, hey, if, if you're serious about not, not playing, we, we want to hire you. We want to keep paying you. It won't be the like couple millions that you've been making by answering questions correctly, um, but we'll pay you a little bit. Well, I mean, when you have such a huge ratings draw as Ken Jennings, you're going to do whatever you can to keep him on your payroll, right? I think so. We've talked a little bit about these franchises today that are decades old that, you know, people are nostalgic for. And usually when you get an update from these franchises, the results are not fantastic. But... One thing that the Ghostbusters franchise has been missing all these years later is a man by the name of Rick Moranis. And that leads us to today's Panning for Good. There's good in them dire hills. Rick Moranis very famously took a break from acting to spend time with his family as his kids were growing up. Jeffrey, that break is finally over, and in a monumental move, he had to have come back in the biggest possible way, right? He was in a commercial with Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds is yeah. a huge Rick Moranis fan. Uh, he'd reached out to him before. Rick Moranis, you know, was retired, didn't want to do it, but... In his grand return, he was shilling for mint. But it means Rick Moranis is back, and that is good news any day in my book. I can only imagine how much money he made on that 30-second TV spot. I, I mean, it's, maybe it wasn't a ton. He Ryan Reynolds seemed really nice. It was a funny ad. Okay. Well, one can hope that when they reboot the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids franchise, that this time... It will be a movie that we want to like and that we should like because it's actually good. I'm still eagerly awaiting Spaceballs 2, the search for more money. Well, we've had a blast here on the show today talking about movies that we should like and, you know, also underlining the fact that it's always good to give people 
uh, and to give food and to give movies and TV shows a second chance, even if for no other reason than to say, at least I tried. And that's all we ask, folks, is that you give some of these movies and TV shows a second chance, especially give movies in the movie theater a second chance during a time when people are not going to the movie theaters. And I I think I've committed, Cole, to going to see Tenet again. That's good for you. I'm, like I said, waiting until I can turn the volume down on my own personal TV. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. Big thanks to Mickey Randall for helping us plan and produce this episode, as well as contributing a piece herself. We are here each and every Saturday on BYU Radio. You can also download our Screen Cleaning Podcast. Just Google Screen Cleaning Podcast, and there you can download now over 100 episodes and hear the many misadventures of Cole Wissinger and Jeff Simpson talk about movies that a lot of times they don't agree on, but ultimately they do agree that they love the movies and they love TV shows. And I'm talking about ourselves in the third person now, Cole. We do. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us here on Screen Cleaning. Screen Cleaning.